other day. Um, in fact, there are people within the Ukrainian government that speak to us daily um, and tell us, uh, give us their requests. Um, certain key principles have that information. Uh, certain key donors also have it, to be honest with you. There have been key donors that have reached out and uh, they've wanted some more information. Um, but more importantly, we're, we're a very public organization uh, in North America. Our, you know, Colonel Lake has done numerous interviews with all sorts of media. Um, and, the, and I guess put it this way, if it was a scam, we'd all be arrested. Uh, there, we're not running any, anything funny or fishy. Uh, not only that, but all of our funds are, I mean, we, we have lawyers. We have, uh, it was set up properly. Uh, government has accorded us uh, uh, not-for-profit status or so. I, I don't know the exact term. But um, it's it's all on the up and up. We've got Paul in here. Uh, I don't know if Paul wants to add anything. Um, he's one of our Maraid uh, volunteers as well. Does a lot of good work for us. Um, yeah, I think we're past that. If this was like day day seven and people hadn't heard of us, I, I would say, yeah, that's a legit question. But uh, I don't think it's a legitimate question at this point. Um, we've got... Yoda, I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the reason why I was a bit of a lost transfer is that you know, usually NGOs, they... They they have their their paper at the end of the year and they you can just consult them because you can just uh, um, see them because it's huge uh, and uh, yeah. usually the very but you, the um, Maria Aid is so young that I could not point them to that sort of thing yeah. that I usually do. So we we have transparent we have a there's a forensic accountant that the, the government of Canada uses and we've asked him to to. Uh, like do reports uh i don't know all the details of i actually hooked him up because i got the contact but he's like you've been around for a month and a half i'm not sure what you know how much you know normally people do it as as you say they have a yearly report hopefully this war doesn't last a year but um yeah i know you can definitely if anyone has any questions we you can reach out to contact at mariaa.org um we have we have lawyers on team um Uh, all the information that's required is there. It's all public anyway. Like you can actually, I think you can Google it because we had some not so nice people Google the addresses of a few of the colonels uh, to see that they're real people. And, and it's a little disconcerting, right? I mean, these people have young children and random inter internet people were like getting their home address, which, which is fine. I mean, uh, I guess it's public information, but yeah, we're very, we're a very public organization. Uh, there is no, uh, there's no hidden hands. There's nothing fishy. Um, we're, we're on the up and up. If you have any, you know, if you're an organization and you want to know these things, uh, by all means, uh, lock into it. Uh, here, here's another perfect example. Um, a, a massive hospital group in the United States, um, committed to, you know, for one particular can candidate slash patient can, you know, contributed, uh, millions of dollars or earmarked millions of dollars in, in surgery for that person. Uh, they didn't do it because they they heard they heard about us once uh we had meetings with uh with colonel lake with colonel vinman um uh certain people who who are well-known entities uh, and they were very gracious and helpful so uh, i think if someone's asking that question they obviously haven't done enough research i invite anyone to to look all over the internet uh and i'm not trying to sound defensive i just think it's a little strange question to ask this late in the game but um we're we're in touch we we're, we just get them Yehuda, the problem is we just get them every day Do you really? It's funny. I don't get any <laughs> because people people come late to the game. Oh. We've had now people in recent days who have told us, I "Haven't found you since the invasion." Gosh, if only I had known this space for longer. And who's this and who's that? So this literally comes across uh, for us who's been who've been here since the very beginning. It's always you know unique, but at the same time, 
there's millions of people whom we haven't reached yet. So yeah, I guess when I hear the word even someone say scam, it's a little offensive because they're all the volunteers, especially as the online moderators know, we have we have we have like a hundred, probably almost a hundred volunteers from around the world, just literally spending every waking moment uh, or outside of work doing this. So I think it's a little strange, but. Yeah, I know. Um, we have a team at Marie Aid of uh, almost 50 volunteers just on, on the back end where we do logistics, the procurement, the shipping, um, the, you know, the determining what, what's required. We, as I said, we get lists of products. Um, we, we double check with the American government to see what the American government is giving because we don't want to double up. So the, re- the hardest part of delivering aid to Ukraine is that Ukrainians are basically like sending an SOS every day. Like they're sending messages. We need this. We need this. And so we need, we need X amount of sniper rifles or that's Maria can't do lethal, but let me give you an example about lethal. Um, they'll say we need a hundred sniper rifles. So they'll, they'll tell their, their agents in Ukraine, they'll tell their different government you know, organizations, we need this for this. And then they'll all send that request out, uh, hoping to get one person to reply. And sometimes more than one person replies. So now they got more, when really they might have only needed 100 right now and they wouldn't mind if the money was going to be spent, they wouldn't mind, you know, 50 of these other things, right? So it's kind of hard to organize, but that's actually like the majority of the work we do. So they'll say, we want drones or, and then they'll come back and say, actually, we don't want that drone. It wasn't so good in the field. We want this drone. It worked really well. Or thermals. You know, we, we've had many instances where, you know, um, you know like, let's say our NV, uh, you know, thermal imaging unit uh, gets, you know, fogged up apparently we don't, please don't get those. So it, it's really, um, there's so much going on in the back channel that, that a lot of the people in the Walter report don't really see, but we, we're working night and day. And the reason why I've been off for about three weeks, I used to be on obviously every day for hours and hours and hours, but um, we've had to step up the game and start uh, really sharpening the pencil to, to provide the best effects on the ground. Um, and ultimately from our website, you can actually see the products that we buy and ship and they get to Ukraine. Um, we're, we're, we're a pretty known entity, John Spencer, another person who uh, is a friend of the show. Um, we re- recently arranged for him when he got to Ukraine to meet up with our contacts who receive our, our goods and, and who help on many levels. Um, and he knows Marie Aid from, from, from Ukraine. So any questions you can also ask John Spencer, uh, hope he doesn't get mad if he gets a lot of messages, but, um, we're, we are definitely a known entity in Ukraine. Um, and we're, we're doing, uh, as a civilian volunteer organization, we're probably, I, I would say we're the largest outside Ukraine for sure. For sure. We're the largest outside Ukraine come back alive in Ukraine. It's obviously manned by, you know, staffed by Ukrainians. Um, and, uh, but other than that worldwide, uh, we're the, the largest, uh, non-Ukrainian, uh, volunteer organization. Um, let's specifically set up just to do this. Other organizations, uh, do stuff as well, but we're literally the only just purely you, you know, geo for Ukraine for this invasion. Um, and the reason why is simple. Um, the principals here, people involved, we're all members of or involved in training Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, Colonel Lake was the task force commander, and so this is a, a woman who was literally on ground uh, as the commanding officer of all of the Canadian forces in Ukraine. Um, and it's personal for us. And she just left last year at the end of last year. So, um, it's obviously it's close to her heart and she's probably one of the finest people I know in every regard in terms of competency, uh, like professionalism. Uh, but more importantly as a human, like as a caring individual, 
uh, probably the biggest heart of, of anyone I've ever met. And, and I've met a lot of people. So as a result, because of her, um, the quality of her character, she's inspired lots of other people who we have other things to do in the day. But once we get home and the kids to bed, we're doing this for 10 hours, 12 hours a day. Um, that's what leadership looks like. Right? So um, because of people like her, uh, we, we have decided to use our resources and our experience and our skill sets to help Ukraine. Um, definitely, I, I, I'm shocked. It would sadden me if someone looked us up and didn't know. But if they have no idea who we are, I, I, I guess there's no point in me convincing or anything. I don't think I should convince anyone. If someone's curious, there's enough information on the Internet now about Marie uh, I invite you. Go look it up. Go check us out. Um, more than happy to answer questions. But uh, I won't start at, are you again? <laughs> okay, how do you do something? Is like, go check us out. We have, uh, we, have, uh, we have a lot of information, and we're, we're happy to share. Uh, but the proof is in the pudding. Um, you can see what we do, and, uh, um, yeah, we're happy, we're happy to help. Do we have any information as to how, Jura, do we have any information as to how the Fury drone, uh, which has been sent and dispatched there, how this has been received so far? I that uh, the team can answer. I know Paul can, or Paul... Well, yeah. Paul's here. I know. He, is he on the... Oh, great. Paul. Yeah, yeah. He's up. He's up. Yeah, yeah Paul. Uh, f f supporting fires for me, Paul. Uh, what did I forget to say? Uh, well, if we go back to the, um, the question about um, people being able to trust Maria, right? Um, I, you might have been a bit harsh, Joe, because I'd like to think that there are new people um, joining the, the space who may not know about uh, Maria Aid as well as all of us. So I would just say two things. Firstly, um, our three-month accounts will be due uh, really soon and they will get posted up, but they're not there yet. But I would just probably refer you to uh, one of the tweets up in the nest, um, which Doman kindly put up for me. And it's the world, um, sorry, the Ukrainian World Congress stating publicly um, that they've partnered with Maria Aid. Now, I don't think that uh, UWC would do that uh, with an organization that wasn't um, uh, completely above board. For sure. And, and I know it might sound harsh, but this is this is maybe it's the uh, officer and gentleman in myself. If I was concerned about something's veracity, I wouldn't approach it by saying, is it a scam? How do I know it's not a scam? I would say, hey, is there anything you could demonstrate? Can you provide me information to demonstrate your legitimacy? That's a more polite question, I guess. Maybe that's my Canadian sensitivity shining through. Um, but leading with a question, which, which really, it, the question really should be, are you criminals? Because that's what is this a scam means. So I... I, I take offense to that, so I apologize if it came out that way, but uh, it's just, uh, obviously, this is a labor of love, um, and uh, I, I, I'm blown away by the, by the thought that it could be anything less than, than honorable. But as you said, there are new listeners, and hey, uh, as Paul just said, I didn't even know their article was there. Uh, the, World, uh, the World Congress there, uh, or Canadian uh, Congress, what is it, Ukrainian-Canadian or the World Ukrainian Congress. World Congress. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're obviously, you know, the principles between, between Lubomir Shabersky, who's a well-known Ukrainian-Canadian advocate and activist, um, he's actually on our board as well. So he's, he's Marie-Aid. Um, they, they speak to these types 
Uh, and I don't do that, right? I have a different set here. First, it was the the Walter Report mostly. Then it's now it's more uh, fine tuning different procurement through uh, Ukrainian military defense. But um, I don't have a lot of insight in all those other things. Paul actually is uh, kind of sits on uh, on on the fence, and he's able to look at all the different sides of Marie. So if you have any questions, and Paul doesn't uh, very much mind that, you could reach out, Paul. Because he he has a bigger picture of all the moving parts. Uh, I just I kind of work in two silos at Marie Aid. Paul has um, essay on on I think all of them. If I'm not wrong, Paul, am I? I know a little bit about what goes on in Marie Aid. Yes. <laughs> so he, he's a good he's a good resource um, because he chairs the meetings, uh, the weekly meetings, thrice weekly, if I'm not mistaken. And I should go to more of them. And I apologize, I don't. But uh, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's actually pretty, um, if you think about it, Paul, it, it, you know, six months ago, would you have thought you were doing what you're doing for Maria Aid right now? No, I, I was having a conversation with a, a friend today and um, what, posed that exact question. I didn't understand how I got from what I used to do to what I'm currently doing. Um, but I'm proud that I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, so just so you know, when, when I pop into a meeting, off, often late, if at all, uh, it'll be Paul quarterbacking the meeting and just going through the different um, lines of effort that we have, whether it's procurement or logistics or fundraising or or um, social media. And the different team leads will be there and they'll just be, OK, this is what we've done now. This is what we're doing next. And then there'll be a big discussion as to, oh, wait a minute, are we doing this? Are we doing that? Um, it's just a, it's a regular opera. You know, I, it looks to me like, you know, a, uh, an update brief in the military. We call it Cubs Commander's Update Briefs. Um, it's pretty awesome and it's done very, uh, very well. And I thank Paul for all that, uh, all of that organization because it would be, uh, it's instrumental to the organization. So thanks, Paul. Pleasure. Well, there you have it. Uh, I was too harsh and I apologize, uh, but I, uh, I take it personal. Uh, we work very, very hard. And as uh, the good thing is when that three month, um, report comes out, I assume, I assume like, uh, all the all the relevant people who who look at these things and produce them uh, have their information on it. Um, and just a reminder: hundred percent of the money we get from uh, Marie uh, from Aid goes to either purchasing uh, supplies for Ukraine or shipping those supplies. Uh, we don't. Um, there's no pizza party, uh, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately rather. There's no pizza party. There's no Paul needs to buy a new stapler, uh, so he's going to get the money from Aid. Everything Paul does is on his own dime. Everything I do is on my own dime. Literally, if you, you know, the people who made the web page, um, he uh, drew, he, uh, he paid for all of the web hosting and all of the associated costs himself. So I've never heard of an NGO where zero dollars, not, not, not 10%, zero percent uh, of the money raised goes to, um, goes to any admin fee uh and then again we're all remote so we don't have a building we don't have you know an office where we go to even those who help with logistics those who who receive our stuff at a warehouse we don't own the warehouse it's actually another company's warehouse who's just volunteered the space and workers to pack the material so there's literally and i'm not sure if i can name them i'm not sure if they they want to be public but um there's a there's a very large shipping company in Ontario who, you know, local, it's, it goes global, but it's here locally in Ontario, Canada, who have said, okay, we're in. 
send your stuff. We'll dedicate this part of the warehouse for Maria Aid. Uh, you guys can come in. The volunteers can pack it. We have some workers too. We can help you pack stuff. We'll label it. We have our shipping label machine here. They print out the labels. Uh, we take pictures. Every everything we document everything, not just for you know transparency, but also for um, for like uh, to promote. Right? We know that when people see that they've spent you know a hundred dollars with Marie Aid for combat first aid kits, and then they get to see pictures of you know five thousand combat first aid kits. And with Marie Aid's name on it in a, in a warehouse in Canada, and then we're shipping it, and then they see pictures of the Ukrainian army receiving it, and it says Marie Aid on it, and they open it up, and it has those those first aid kits or or a Fury drone. You know, we give the thumbs up, and everyone can see it. You can be a part of it, right? Like you're seeing the effects of your donation. And that's really important. And and but that, for example, that company, that shipping company that's 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 doing it. I mean, they could use that space to to do their own stuff and make money. So that's a huge huge donation so that 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 shipping company in canada is donating tons of money and time if you look at you know what they could be doing with their resources they're choosing to give it to us um how did that happen i think melanie met colonel lake met or knows one of the the actually the owner uh the owner or the owner came up somehow and they had a talk and she said uh, uh the, the lady who owns the company she said yeah i'm in done and that's that's the power of goodness i think that's that's when good people meet and then they, they decide to work for a good cause and that's what maria Aid is and uh it's actually shockingly i didn't expect this to happen either paul i thought this would be a bunch of military people using our contacts to help refugees um and not not much else but uh with uh you know colonel lake's not my boss by the way so when i say this i'm not uh it's i have no dog in this but she's she's one of the most inspiring people um, and a lot of people have done stuff because she was able to lead us into a group and then, uh, you know, acts like a first among equals. She, she, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a democratic, it's almost like we vote, we vote on things. We decide, okay, what's the best item? Um, Mel's not the expert on everything. So she'll refer to other people for expertise. I won't know a lot about how NGOs are set up. So I really don't say much about that. Um, it's amazing how all these professional people have gotten together, uh, for a cause and uh and we work very well together we uh we do the right thing so um i guess michael had a question hi uh i watched the HIMARS video i saw it was done at night so my question is what's involved in doing it at night and compared to day and uh what are the advantages or disadvantages of that my question yeah no worries um i guess we'll stop with the maria if anyone has any maria questions by all means please do um to ask now's the time we got myself and paul on um now the HIMARS. Uh, i'm not an artillery officer so just want to let you know um but i mean i do have some idea and, and cj's actually answered this question before so i will hopefully roughly parrot what he said and that is obviously that that so these are gps guided munitions that means it doesn't matter if it's night or day um because they're not looking at a target and firing it. So this is pre-programmed in a computer, and it hits a grid coordinate that's determined. Uh, it's like saying, does your GPS on your phone, does Waze work better at night or the daytime? The answer is it doesn't matter. Um, and it's even less important for HIMARS because you're not driving the missile down the wrong road at some point and not following the uh, GPS. So, uh, And similarly, the counter-battery uh, potential uh, the the radar is picking up uh, where it's coming from. So 
it wouldn't matter if it's at night or day either. I assume. I'm sure it's. Uh, it might might be disadvantageous to to drive it at night to to move, um, or it might be disadvantageous to you know uh, get it there and, and just just the associated risks of being in the dark uh, and setting up a machine. Uh, I'm not sure of any other real disadvantage. Um, I, I'm sure at night uh, generally uh, people tend to sleep, so maybe maybe the the Russian force. Uh, um, you know, posture, uh, is lower at night. Maybe, uh, they're not, uh, you know, they don't have as many radar operators working, which they should, they should be on eight hour shifts, but, um, you know, it could be, it could be, that's also when you're getting hit, it's a lot harder to figure out what's going on. Let's say it's a command post. Uh, let's say it's a, a grouping of artillery pieces, Russian artillery pieces, and they get hit at night. Uh, it's obviously more confusing for the enemy to get struck at night and to provide first aid and to leave, especially if there are a bunch of burning vehicles and you don't know what's going on. So I hope that answers that. Uh, yeah, thanks. You know, no worries. Anyway, Paul, the fury, uh, any, any reports on their efficacy in the field yet? Uh, they're not actually in the field yet, Joe. Um, they are imminent, uh, but they're not in the field yet. Any idea when, I, I um, there, there are reasons I I can't be too specific, but very okay. soon, very soon. Good to know. Well, there you go, because that was one of the questions I was asked. I don't know the answer myself. I'm not <clears throat> saying I don't care, but it's as I said, we all have different jobs. And once once uh, once I help in, in 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 sending the information about what's needed and 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 doing what I do here at Walter Report, I don't really uh, not, I can't pay attention. I don't have that much. I don't have enough time to follow it all, but Paul, Paul's got a good uh, uh, take on, on the bigger picture for a lot of different things at Myriad. So, again, if he's so inclined and doesn't mind answering some DMs, by all means, reach out and say hello. And soon I will have to go for a bit. So uh, I, uh, I will pass it back to Domin and Ben. Thank you very much, Yehuda. Um, one last call out, because uh, Paul does have other things to do, such as actually, you know, help... Uh, arrange for supplies to be moved, etc. Uh, so if you do have any questions, Maria, jump up now, click that request button in the bottom left corner of your screen because uh, Paul's your man to answer. And uh, maybe Nina has a question for Paul. Just getting Nina up real quick. Uh, but yeah, if you do, just click that request button in the bottom left corner. If you want to just come up to thank Paul and Yehuda for all they're doing with Maria, that, 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 that works too. Um, people sometimes don't get enough... Uh, praise and thanks and maybe it's a good idea if you if if there's something's offered uh good afternoon nina right ahead oh <laughs> good afternoon uh, i sorry i have like half a piece of bread in my mouth <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking tea uh if you don't mind uh i just read something uh which was kind of um, uh good news for uh ukraine and uh, bad news for uh, Russia, because uh, already the third um, uh, military uh, uh, airplane, uh, how do you say, crashed crashed in within a week. Uh, that was a Russian. Uh, hang on. Uh, it was an Illusion seventy six, is what I think you mean. Mm-hmm. The cargo plane that yes, crashed yep. near yes, Ryazan. Yes, Illusion, yeah, seventy six, and then there was. Uh, um, a week ago, Friday, SU-25, and another 20, SU-25 uh, on Tuesday. 
So uh, with my calculations, what we have been talking about, the uh, spare parts not coming from the West anymore is starting to kick in. Uh, is, is this kind of assumption right? What do you think, Domen? So I don't think it's actually true with any of these because these are all old Soviet planes that were designed in the 1970s. These wouldn't have been relying uh, so much on, on parts coming in from the West. Uh, I think this is a broader, you know, maybe breakdown in, in um, uh, the ability to conduct repairs appropriately or maybe overworking things. or Maybe they've, they've changed their supply line since because a lot of the spare parts for these, of course, used to come from Ukraine because a lot of the parts for various aircraft in the Soviet Union were manufactured in Ukraine. And obviously they're not uh, exactly being, um, you know, supplied now or for the last few years. Uh, the, the one of the two Sukhois apparently hit some um, electrical wires as well, so that's not so much uh, in a technical fault rather than a pilot error crashing into some uh, uh, high voltage wires. Um, but who knows? What, yeah, what I think is more significant is with all the other stuff, right? Airbuses, Boeings, etc. They're having to rely on cannibalizing other airframes, and we actually know this. They've they've told us this. Uh, they, even in Moskovsky Komsomolets, I think it was um, a couple of days ago, four days ago, they were saying, you know, in just eight years' time, Russia will have a whole new jet that's completely uh, um, uh, that's completely domestically manufactured and won't have to rely on any of this American stuff. Um, but of course, you know, the, and they even admitted very straightforwardly in that piece that they're currently cannibalizing Airbus and Boeing frames. Uh, ben, have you read that piece as well? Uh, uh, can I just comment that it's the this is the usual uh, Russian quality uh, of the airplanes. That's why. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's an important thing to note. Um, Deutsche Welle did an interview yesterday with a um, a British academic working in Finland, ironically, at an aeronautics uh, institute or school, um, and the specifically about the Russian um, uh, aviation industry problems therein. And I think he uh, stated what should be known to everyone. Uh, it had to do with, you know, uh, you know, the state of Russian aircraft with difficulties, what difficulties they're facing. I don't know if you can hear me. Sorry. You're about, a little bit quieter than earlier, but you're fine. You're audible. So I just had to yeah, switch fine. to headphones. Um, cause the phone's dying. Um, so the question was, what would she do? Obviously, we all know that Russian industry, aircraft industry, would be affected by this. Uh, the question is, how and why? So um, parts. All planes need parts. As you know, as anyone here who's ever been to the airport, um, I could hazard to guess or assume that if you've ever been delayed on your flight for 20 minutes or 15 minutes or an hour, there's a good chance it's not just a scheduling issue. There's a good chance a part was being replaced, something that has a certain expected lifetime. And sometimes it's not even that the part is broken. Sometimes there's certain parts on planes that just get replaced because they're like, this is the lifespan of it. We're not going to risk it. It could last. I'm just making something up. This one part could last a hundred, uh, 100 flights, but at 75, they take it off, you know, uh, because they just don't want to risk it um, from the metal fatigue or whatever. So 
parts get changed. I don't, I'm not gonna say every, every day on the same aircraft, but I assume every month there's something on a, on a, on a plane that gets replaced. It's not like a car. You can drive it for X amount of kilometers without worrying. So number one, uh, I think he said there were about 500 and something aircraft in, 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 in Russia. <clears throat> and of them, only 10 were not uh, Boeing or Airbus. So like 95% of every Russian aircraft is made in the West. It means it's also uh, serviced by parts in the West. There's no such thing as taking your airplane, shopping it around to different airplane mechanic shop to get the best quote. You only go to one source and that is the, the, the manufacturer. So <clears throat> why is that important? So every Boeing uh, plane gets Boeing parts made by, wait for it, Boeing and updates to the manual with regards to um, safety changes. Uh, it's all by Boeing. So it's been three months. They've got no parts. They've got no um, manuals to change, you know, security update. You know, when you, your computer says, download this new virus update, that's not happening with any of the planes in Russia. Did we lose? Uh, I don't know. Did we? No, no, okay. you're here. You could, uh, I think, just the thing right. in a problem. So, uh, they've gotten no updates. So what does that mean? What's what's so you might say, well, that's fine. They can just rejig. You know, I can get a, you know, an oil filter from company A for my car. I could get it from company B. I I get an oil filter from from Chevrolet, or I can get it from third party company in the United States. It's the same oil filter. Planes don't work that way. Planes have specific parts made by specific companies. You can Google. There's a very famous crash of a plane going to Europe it landed in the Azores I think and it was some part was replaced and, and near the with the engine having to do with something with fuel in the engine and it was like point half of a millimeter off the part that they replaced it with and the plane almost killed 300 people um, because of something so so minute so <clears throat> there is no such thing as, as just winging it haha <laughs> on a plane right you can't just wing it you can't just get a separate part and put it on now, there's a bigger implication. Here's the bigger implication. And it has to do with licensing, insurance, maintenance of the vehicle. The planes, if they start not using the manufacturer's parts, if they don't have an unbroken maintenance record, um, according to this aviation's professor, avionics professor, um, no bank will pay for it. No bank you won't be able to get new planes. The banks won't give you 100 or 200 million dollars for a plane um, in order to, to you know to replace a plane or to introduce a new plane to the fleet if there is no guarantee that all of the rules are being met. And not only that, stretch it out further, because of international um, air safety concerns and regulations by the regulatory body, those planes eventually won't even be allowed to fly to countries that aren't. Uh, uh, sanctioning Russia. That means to India or to China, because all of these countries sign on to whatever protocol it is for the aircraft industry, and they want to make sure that every plane that lands in those airports or flies in their airspace follows that protocol. So unless there's a break in that system, and and then you know China, India, Russia, uh, or other parts of the world that support Russia. Um, unless they want to start their own aircraft industry, which they, they won't because they can't, they don't have the ability to, they don't have the technological ability to, eventually Russian planes are going to be so outdated and so improperly maintained that they won't even be able to leave Russia. That's incredible. 
So in, on top of it, he's saying that if these sanctions continue, like presumably for five years, because I don't see Putin backing down unless he's kicked out, then that means that, that, they, that they won't even have an aircraft industry because they won't have any planes. They won't have planes to replace the planes that they have. So not only is it, you know, will they be looking for parts on the black market, they'll be like North Korea. Instead of accepting oil at sea, they'll be <laughs> accepting plane carburetors. Um, it's horrible. It's, it's a, it literally would be the destruction of the Russian aircraft industry. Again, 95% of the planes are out of 510 or 550, only 10 planes are not uh, made in the West. So it's remarkable. Their entire aircraft industry is completely reliant and dependent on on Western parts. And there's no way to maintain them. Uh, it's like when you go get car insurance, they ask you, who is your last car insurer? Because they don't want to insure you if you never had one, right? So with 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 the planes, if they don't have Boeing supporting and manufacturing and servicing the manufacturing parts and servicing the Boeing sitting in Moscow, that just falls off the, the track. They're not they're, they're not going to be able to fly in internationally um, regulated areas without a plane that meets international standards. Just making it work is not good enough. It, it, they could be even better than the Boeing people. It still doesn't matter because all the regulations surrounding the use of that plane are linked to the to the body the international I, I, if anyone is an air person here you, you probably know which organization i'm talking about uh, but it's it's the organization that all countries sign on to. IATA. say again there's the IATA and there's the icao okay and they serve slightly different purposes right so the ones that re- that that regulate safety um it's very possible that those countries that even who aren't sanctioning Russia would not be able to really allow those planes into their airspace if they're not uh, accredited, if they're not, if it's not confirmed that their aircraft are maintained to the standards of the manufacturer. If the manufacturer was a Russian manufacturer, they could do that, right? They could say, yeah, it's, it's aero, you know, it's Aeroflot Industries or Putin's planes.com and they made the plane and they make the parts and they determine the, the security, the safety standards. Boeing can't sign off on the safety of a, of a, a Boeing in Russia by the end of the year. They, they won't know all the parts. They don't know where they got the parts from. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I just want to add a little bit to this. So, you, you know, you said no bank is going to give the money to, to buy new planes. Forget about that. The vast majority, maybe not the vast majority, uh, a, a reasonable majority of uh, Western airframes in Russia were actually from leasing companies, mostly ones from Ireland, and they were effectively seized by Russia at the start of the at the start of the war. So, um, what they're doing now is they basically they basically stole um, some many billions of dollars worth of planes, and now they're slowly dismantling them to keep other millions of billions of dollars worth of planes that they stole running. Um, that that's a, it, it's kind of like Iran in the 1980s, but with much more complicated equipment kind of situation. And they simply yeah. won't be able to run them for nearly as long as Iran managed to run the Boeing through the 80s and 90s. Yeah, much. My, 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 there are far more regulations now. But my point is, yes, I, I'm I'm familiar that they they basically stole the, the the planes from the leasing companies. I'm talking about if this was even to end in a year. Then that that would all. Then every single plane would have to have like a massive refit, and that would have to be signed off by Boeing or Airbus. Do you see what I mean? Like it's it's not a problem that will oh, stop. Oh, absolutely. Now. Those airframes right. are basically um, not valid anywhere anymore, and yeah, probably won't yeah. ever again be. 
yeah, it's a it's a huge hit. It's a huge hit. So you wouldn't the leasing company. Let's say there were. So in other words, he was saying. And again, this is not me. I've I have no idea about what this man is talking. I'm just repeating what what a, a, an expert on the field said on Deutsche Welle. And you could actually Google um, that Deutsche Welle. I don't know the name of the um, the article, but it was yesterday. Uh, it was. Uh, uh, the professor was a gentleman from the UK and he was working in Finland and it was something about what's the future of the Russian aircraft industry um, now. And he, he said, even now, the leasing companies that have them, that own them legally, they wouldn't even be able to rent them out to a third party uh, or, or lease them to someone else now because they've, there's a gap in the, in the service history of the plane now, right? There's no guarantee that, that in the last three months that that someone just didn't use a grommet or a screw from another thing and put it in the plane. And there's no, like, because they, they track every single part. Every single part that goes on a plane is recorded, right? So they, they've lost that chain of uh, custody, so to speak. Go ahead, sorry. I think Yuha was next. Yeah, yeah as, I, I, as I heard the, the question regarding the airport, I, I don't know a bit about aviation. And uh, well, there was pretty comp- comprehensive answer from you both. One, one more thing I would like to point out that it's uh, every airport, every part has a certain service cycle and uh, if, the, if that's not kept it's, doesn't, uh, it's eno- not enough that you re-check uh, only that part for example in the stabilizer if you have a lot, wrong screw and there's some vibrations that might cause some uh, extra load to the hydraulic parts and whatever like secondary causes so basically it's not enough that you uh, only check what might have been uh, inspected uh, wrongly. But basically, the whole aircraft would have to be <laughs> disassembled and reassembled in order to check that there are no no secondary damages caused by the, the poor, poor uh, maintenance. And that makes, as soon as a plane uh, doesn't have this, impact, uh, this intact maintenance record anymore, uh, the, the plane pretty soon becomes completely worthless because uh, stripping down the plane individual parts and reassembling it, okay, the hull might be the big parts, uh, okay, but but basically the, 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 as soon as they start uh, look salvaging and cannibalizing parts from other planes, they lose the uh, maintenance record continuity and, and that's when the plane becomes unsellable, uh, uh, insecure and basically worthless. And that's what they have now done with the billions. If well, that's their their problem somehow. But it's also, of course, a problem of the uh, Ireland uh, companies who have uh, well basically owned the planes. But that's the only thing I would like to add. It was very very good overview of the topic. Thank you. Well, thank you. But uh, I'm going to have to give credit to that unnamed professor who taught me a lot yesterday. <laughs> I think Raver. Yep. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, on the aircraft thing. It's more than just the parts. As soon as the sanctions uh, kicked in and Airbus and Boeing canceled all of the maintenance certificates for the mechanics, as soon as one of them touched that plane, it was grounded because it was unauthorized work. Yeah, there you go. And, and the implication of that is that, that they don't meet international standards at that point. They can't even fly them anywhere, really, outside of Russia, technically. Does that sound right, Raver? Yeah, that's why uh, China uh, banned Boeing and Airbus flights from Russia because they're not being serviced by authorized mechanics. And and Boeing and China is Russia's friend. Yeah, but they still don't want you know, Russian planes crashing into Chinese skyscrapers. Exactly. But I'm just saying it's it's and and those are the that's what that those are Russia's friends and they can't even circumvent those rules. 
that was my point. Domin, something changed in your voice setting. Your microphone is somehow very distant. Domin dropped, it looks like. Yeah, something is very wrong with this phone if it's starting to sound like Yoda. Raver, did you, what was your daily uh, thread about? What, what did you write to your congresswoman about today? So yesterday, the uh, Diamond Hogs lost. So it's going to be Ole Miss heading to to face the uh, University of Oklahoma or Oklahoma University Sooners at the College World Series for baseball. So I'm now a Sooners fan since I know OK uh, City Ryan is on here as a co-host and he's running around yelling Slavic Ukraine like I am. But it was basically about how Arkansas is the land of second chances. And then I segue from there into how Ukrainian or the Ukrainians don't need to land in Arkansas as refugees. They need our support now so they can kick Russia out of Ukraine. Uh, I try to write my uh, political representatives every single day. I've been doing so for weeks. And I always try to make it interesting and informative. Fantastic. Um, I should have read that. It's... Yehuda. Um, oh, Paul has dropped. Does my mic sound bad, or is it? Are you just being mean? Oh no, your your mic sounds wonderful, and your. Well, you said Doman sounded like me, so it means that my mic's no, bad. No, somebody somebody thought that your Doman Doman's broken microphone sounded like you. Oh, okay, all right. You you, you sound a bit a bit metallic, but uh, not bad. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, I have an, I got new headphones for Father's Day. I got. Uh, the AirPod Pro, and it's a very strange device. It fills your ear with this rubber thing. It's not nice. I'm just getting used to it. Okay. Happy Father's Day. Uh, Michael, you had joined us, but I don't think you got to ask a question. Yeah, he did. He asked about oh, yeah. uh, okay. timers. All right. All right. Um, Yoda, are you well-versed in uh, Judaism in general? Yeah, you could say that. Okay. Can you explain to us what uh, Yatzertov and Yatzerah? Are you sure, but why? <laughs> why are we talking about that right now? Uh, because I'm, I'm, I was trying to, to assess the, the causes that lead all of us to participate either to the space or to marry aid. And some of us do it for good reasons, some of us do it for bad reasons. Okay. Uh, but I'd, and and I was thinking of uh, people that were you know, trying to manage everything. So Axel, uh, Walter, you, uh, and a few others, and how it it's, must be a bit of a ride to handle all those different um, uh, source, well, all those different people who have all those different reasons to uh, to participate. Into well, I'll say, I'll say this. I'll universalize it, even though the concept of Yitzhak is a is a, a, a universal concept, I will, because no one knows what it means, an evil inclination or an, an inclination for good. Um, <clears throat> I think there are a lot of people that help. Um, and in, in this case, <clears throat> I'm proud to say that everyone on Read and Walter Report that I've met uh, does this for the, for the sake of doing the right thing. Uh, we're inclined to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Um, and, uh, you know, are those, there are those who help who maybe don't really care about Ukraine. And this is just an interesting thing. I actually don't judge. I'll tell you why. Because right now Ukraine needs all the help it can get. I'd like to think people want to help because they don't want to see another Holocaust in this world or another, you know, genocide of any kind, uh, no matter where it is. 
Um, and so I think that sharing our collective beliefs and resources and energy online uh, to affect change, to in effect put the finger on the scale, scale of destiny, um, it's a great thing. Um, who knows? There, I've met people who said, you know, listen, I, I came in to support um, uh, because, you know, I don't like Russian aggression, but I don't really care. I didn't really care about Ukraine. But, you know, after being in the space for a couple months, you know, I see the, the love that you people are giving Ukrainians um, and it made me think why, you know, and, and, and now, you know, we made a we made and we made a, a, a laissez-faire supporter into a diehard supporter because of the because of this person witnessing what we were doing. And that's a beautiful thing to hear. Um, it's, you know, you can't equivocate or pontificate on people's uh, rationale for being here or, or even determine what the rationale is. But I can say, is, is, you know, uh, as long as a person, um, uh, you know, demonstrates a will to help, even if it's just online talking about it, just being in this room and, and supporting our numbers in, in the Twitter space is a huge deal. You know, you could be doing... You could be in the Imran Khan space, or you could be in the what are you doing at 12 o'clock at night space, but you're here with us, and that helps. So I don't judge. I don't really think too much about their motivation. Um, as long as uh, people show that they're, they, you know, are helpful, I'll interact with them. You know, I'll even interact occasionally with those disingenuous trolls because it's a good way to show the effects of Russian misinformation because there are people in here that don't think or were even unaware. They were unaware that Russia actually pays people to obfuscate to denigrate to make up lies about ukraine in order to get people against it so they can have a freer hand at genocide there are people that didn't know that so i will i will even speak to the baddies um because i think i think there's a value in it i mean i'm not going to do it all day and night and sometimes it's for a bit of levity and uh just to demonstrate the oddness of the the enemy's perspective and how they view the world um and as we've seen we've seen a bunch of them descend into rabbit holes and and illuminati and anti-semitism and just crazy talk um, but it's important that the world sees i think a lot of people are sheltered i think a lot of people who came who've been in this room come from a sheltered experience where they didn't realize just what's going on online um and i think it's been an eye-opener i'm just glad to help uh, have been a part of it so uh raver and then Nina. I think Nina was ahead of me, Yehuda. Okay. Are you the moderator now? I'm just kidding. Okay. So go ahead, Nina. Thank you, Raver. <clears throat> Thank you, Raver. That was nice of you. Um, I think it's just a very <clears throat> human thing <clears throat> if you didn't grow up in Russia. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, I'd like to uh, quote uh, Dalai Lama. And if you think that uh, Buddhism is. Uh, uh, religion, it's not, it's actually like a life philosophy. So uh, uh, he, he says many, many things, but he says the, one of the first rules is that um, we should always, as human beings, aim to help each other and help others. And the least we can do is not to make uh, harm for anyone. And uh, that's quite uh, something like uh, also uh, I think it's a natural thing uh, that if somebody needs help, we want to help because we never know when we are in the situation when we need help. So, uh, and also we are not, uh, if I'm doing some voluntary work, I'm not doing it to get something. I'm doing it because uh, it feels good to help others. Thank you. All right, Raver. That's good to know. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and for me, for motivations, you know, I'm a, a student of history, and one of the places that's on my bucket list is Yad Vashem. And when I eventually make it there and get to stand in the shade of the trees in those gardens, I want the ghosts of those people to recognize a kindred spirit. I cannot just stand by as a genocide is happening and not do something. Yeah, yeah. that's a sorry. No, no, no. That's go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's a point that I've made before. I, I've said to people that you know, some people say, "Why is it such a big deal?" And I feel like saying, "You've got, you've got to be, you've got to be kidding me." Uh, we've, you know, some of us have lost family in the Holocaust. And uh, we, we've we've come from a world where you know that you know this is this is prevalent. It still exists to this day, uh, and I don't want to be on the sidelines of it. Um, and instead of being a part of you know a documentary of another genocide um, uh, and and you know the effects of internet uh, you know uh, chatter about it, I'd rather be a part of the solution. Um, there's a lot of people that say things like, "Oh." Um, you know, they would see Schindler's List or they'd see a Holocaust movie and say, well, if I was alive back then, I wouldn't let it happen. I would have helped them. I would have done something. <clears throat> a lot of those people are people who are here, you know, here in the world today who equivocate and pontificate as to whether or not they should do something today. And how is it really a big deal? And it's funny because some of those people are the same people who would say, I wouldn't be one of those Germans who supported the Nazi party. I would be saving Jews or I would be saving, you know, other people who are being killed or homosexuals or, or gypsies or Romani or, Romani, uh, or Sinti or, or this or that. Um, but here, you, you, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, life has given you that opportunity to help people, to help you know, your fellow human and now's the time to either, you know, demonstrate who you are as a person or probably don't, don't say in the future that you would have helped because you have an opportunity to help people live. <clears throat> and now I think that's, I think that's why a lot of people are here from so many different parts of the world and walks of life. You have people who vote one way or vote the other who normally wouldn't talk to a person from the other side. But when it comes to this room, we get together and we work as a group and that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Although, action is now. Yes. Although some of us uh, don't have such um, high-minded uh, uh, reasons to participate, uh, I'm looking for friends, and Axel is trying to revive the Livonian order. But kudos to those who are doing it for the good reasons. And talking about good reasons, here's Domin. Now, still connecting. I was hoping for Axel, do you know if they celebrate uh, Juniper as well in, uh, in Ukraine? I literally haven't seen any of this ever. There is folk festivals in certain parts of Poland which are associated with summer solstice, but the Catholic Church has always been persecuting it. That doesn't mean that they don't have them, but hey, we should ask Maciej. Amazing. So this is where you, you dance around a bonfire worshipping the sun for a few days, is that it? Around a bonfire. Around. I said around. I said around oh, the bonfire. Is it in a bonfire? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Isn't it over? Don't you jump over it? No, no, that's uh, you can. That's true. No, that's true. He's absolutely correct. Uh, when, uh, when the bonfire is over and uh, there's only the heat, you jump over it. And... Um, there's many different kind of tropes. Uh, different Ugric people have different views on this matter. But for example, some of them, and that includes also the Komi, if you jump across 
meaning if two uh, or a young couple jumps across, they shall be married and the likes and all sorts of old, old folklore. Amazing. Are we boring Nina. you? No, no, Nina wants to participate and probably... Well, she's finished. Oh. They have the same dang, dang thing as we have. Same dang thing. <laughs> yes, we have a, we celebrate Midsummer's Eve. Uh, actually, we don't really celebrate Midsummer Day, but Midsummer's Eve, which is today. And uh, uh, it's, uh, people are making these bonfires. But now in southern Finland, we have, uh, we are not allowed to make any open fires because uh, it's been too hot and too dry. So we can't make the bonfires now here. Uh, only uh, if you go to middle of Finland or Lapland, it's, it's possible, but not in the, in, in the southern, in southern Finland. And there are so many different uh, ways to, like uh, how to celebrate. Uh, when I was small, uh, they told me that we should uh, pick seven different flowers and put them under our pillow, and and we will dream of a man who will we will then marry. This is uh, one thing. Yeah, thank you. How did that and, work for you? Yeah, exactly. How did it work? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I say you finish. Hyvää juhannusta. Well, it worked. Um, uh, For what? <laughs> it worked. Uh, let's say quite many times. <laughs> oh, okay. Play in the field. I like it. Right. It's also my name day today, by the way, in Finland. On it's you had day. Yep, Johannes. Johannes is. Johannes is the name of midsummer in Finnish, and it's uh, come from uh, from the Saint Johannes, I think. And it's, well, anyway, it's my name, Dave. Thank you. Kiitos, Nina. Kiitos, Nina. Happy uh, you are, you are the same. <laughs> if you just knew. <laughs> if only, if only. Say, you are Helsinki. I like it. So Congratulations, you have. Um, Axel, there's a quick question for you. Um, apparently, Habeck has been warning of catastrophic industrial shutdowns and mass unemployment if gas crisis continues. Um, the question is, could Axel talk about just how ominous it really is? Well, if he were, if he had been smart and not as authoritarian and ideologically, he would have um, minded, he would have uh, recommissioned and had allowed and proposed and pushed for the two um, nuclear power plants to be reconnected so that uh, more gas could uh, remain in storage. But hey, the man cannot be helped. Did we lose Axel? No, I heard Axel loud and clear. I am unlocked. You were never lost. Well, I did get dicey at some points, but uh, you prevailed. Um, Do we lose Axel? No, no, no. We still have both Axel and Dalman. Maybe, maybe you're having a problem with your audio. Maybe. Uh, and maybe it was made in Russia, and that's why it doesn't work. That would explain a lot. Um, Do you have uh, thoughts on? Why at the BRICS summit, uh, China is saying that they oppose sanction and that they're looking forward for a post-dollar world, while when they're talking to the Europeans, they're saying, well, uh, we don't support Russia in any way, and um, we think that the invasion is, uh, is not a good thing. I think it's a bit of a straw man. I don't think they've ever said we don't support Russia. I think they they couch their words a little differently. They say things like, we support a resolution, we don't support fighting, 
they've never come out. I mean, it, it could be easily construed that, you know, from in the Russian sphere that they mean that it's NATO that's pushing Russia and, and Russia is just helping its poor Russian speakers because Russia is known to help its people. They're a very benevolent uh, nation. Um, so I don't think there's any contradiction. The Chinese are trying to downplay their role in Russia insofar as they don't ruin their own relationships with companies in the West, but they very much have the opinion that, uh, or they pr promote the opinion that this is NATO's fault and this is Russia just protecting its national interests. So um, this moving off, this post-dollar world nonsense, is pretty laughable. I'm not sure what currency they propose. They have an artificial currency. The UN is still pegged about 30% higher than it's worth. Russian creditors are, uh, it's like a candy shop. They just give it away. Uh, it's obviously they've tightened up the rules, but historically Russia, I mean, China has, you know, has an artificial economy. Uh, it's banana land um, in an effort to democratize China. The world agreed to bring them into the WTO and, um, you know, ignore the fact that China plays with its numbers. China's not a real country. It's an artificial state in that sense, right? The, the finance industry is not based on reality. It's based on communist policy. Yoda, Yoda yeah. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Um, 